It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Hey guys, it's your host, Brian Preston. Here, you know, I want to care, kind of pick up where we left off. Last episode, we talked about really the state of the housing and, and what housing does to the entire global economy. Well, I think what I got from it is that you think us young whippersnapper millennials are ruining the whole housing market is what I heard in that now, last show. I can see how you might get that feeling, but I'm just, Bo, I'm just the broadcaster of what the financial <laughs> press puts out there. So I, I, you can't lay that at my feet, um, but I think it probably would get a lot easier on a lot of our clients as well as it, it help you guys in your generation if y'all could see what it felt like to live on your own. So I just need to call all my friends and tell them to move out of the basements. There real quick. is no shame in y'all's game, obviously, <laughs> in, in living with your parents. So we'll, we'll continue on because I don't want to alienate any of our listeners who might be looking up from their PlayStation 3 as they have this <laughs> on in the background, you know, waiting for the mom to make them a bologna sandwich. So we'll, we'll keep going here. Too harsh? I think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> you can write your, your emails of concern to Bo at money-guy.com. So here's what we're going to talk about today. I wanted to take this on a completely different course in the last podcast. I thought the last podcast, yeah, it was it was good in that it gave you lots of information. It sort of laid the foundation for this one. It I did, think. but I was a little disappointed and I only stopped it and cut it short because I realized, holy cow, I'm 40 minutes in this thing. Um you know, we only all have a limit of how much we can take in, in in a podcast. So I said, hey, let's do a clean break. I'll bring it back. And in today's show, I want to give you the tools. I want to load you up with all that free stuff that you love from the Money Guy show. First, let me give you the website. It's money-guy.com. You guys have been really good at checking out the new website, looking at the new easy sign-up form there. If you want to get just our free information that's sent out, it's completely free to register at the website. And then don't forget about the, the Tightwad Nation t-shirts. You know, I probably am not saying it enough because we're trying to go ahead and finish this whole program out with the big give of 2014. 100% of the money raised, I'm talking about even the cost of the t-shirts, is going to autism charities. Um, if you go watch the video on the Money Guy website, you can see why this is so such an important cause for me and why we're so involved in this. But go check it out. Um, we've got some new shirts that are in the pipeline that, you know, it's going to be for the, the ladies who have asked to, to, they want to make a statement about being a tightwad and want to be part of the tightwad nation, as well as us guys that maybe want to get more of a cotton, you know, more flattering fit for, you know, us guys that are carrying around a little bit extra. So we, we, we've listened to your concerns and we've made those adjustments as necessary. That's right. <laughs> that was the side of my head as I hit the microphone. Are we still going to offer the uh, if you want to if you want to send a link to our video to five friends? We're still going to do a coupon code, or is that over now? What no, do you think? we can still do that. I mean, there's never a bad time, and believe me, as part of the tight wide movement, why wouldn't I let y'all have a way to get an additional coupon code? Our own little there? version of retail me not right. That's, that's right. So we're working on giving you as good of a deal as possible. So here's what I want to cover today. How much did you allocate to housing? I mean, I think that is a key thing. I'm going to give you my personal preference towards that. That way, because I think if you, if you if you go out there and do a Google search on how much you should allocate to housing, you'll get numbers all over the place. Because mm-hmm. remember, everybody has their own motivation for the answers they give you. I think people in the mortgage industry as well as in the real estate you know, industry, they want you to buy as much house as possible because that pushes up 
their compensation. Right, sure. So I have no I think we're pretty independent on your on your financial decisions in that aspect. So I felt like we could at least give you our rule of thumb, you know, so that you could kind of take all the different indicators and all the other di- different sources that are out there on the internet and figure out what your true answer is for yourself because it's, it's more of a personalized decision. I think the reason we think it is such a big deal is because part of the real estate bubble bursting, you know, back in 2008, 2009, was because people bought houses that they couldn't afford, that were too big, some crazy financing. So this is sort of our way of trying to make the world a little better place by educating you on know, what is an actual sound financial decision versus some crazy off-the-wall, how much can you afford on a house. And with you guys listening to a financial podcast, you're probably the voice of reason for many of your, your friends. You're the circle of influence. Uh, so you, maybe you can go out there and spread the good news of some of these better decision-makings as well. The second thing I want you guys to get is now that values are coming back, how do you keep from paying too much in property taxes? I think there are some definitely some key strategies as well as some tools, some internet tools that you can go out there and just make sure you look over the shoulder of your local government to make sure that they're not making some errors or mistakes that could be costing you in your back pocket and your wallet. So those are the things we'll look at. So let's first jump right in. What is my personal comfort level with housing costs. Now, when I say housing costs, the first thing I'm going to focus on is that key statistic of mortgage, which is your principal and interest payment, and then taxes and insurance. That's this first stat I'm going to give you. Realize that there is so much more that goes into owning a house. Um, the number I'm going to go ahead and give you the number, and then we'll talk, get into a little deeper into the weeds of what I'm talking about with all the additional other things that go into owning a house. I like him. Bo, you might have it because we did not have a big discussion on this no. before this show today. So you feel free. You can throw in your own number. But sure. for me, I like 25%. Okay. When I'm talking about principal and interest, your mortgage payment, your base mortgage payment, plus your insurance on the, on the, on the house as well as your property taxes. Right. So I'd like if you add up those items that they not exceed 25% of your gross pay. And the rule of thumb that I always heard was 28%. So we're right there, pretty pretty darn close to each other on yeah. that one. And the reason I like going below the 28, because I was very familiar, you hear between 28 and 33%. I like going below that because I want you to have a rich lifestyle. One of the things I tell you guys, even though I'm a self-professed tightwad, I love people to be able to, to travel, enjoy life, build up those memories because you don't get to keep the, you know, one of the few things I like to believe you leave this earth with is your memories. So make sure you, you don't end up being house rich, life poor. I'd rather you get a much more conservative house payment, a very low house payment, so you can have a very full life. I think that is a key thing because you see so many people, I think they get it backwards. They're looking for that status and that prestige of having that impressive house. Then they get in there, but in the bigger your house you buy, remember, toys begot more toys in the fact that you buy a house that has five bedrooms, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 square feet, you got to put furniture in all those rooms. You have to heat and cool all those rooms. Plus, you know, your, your homeowner's insurance, all that stuff is going to be more expensive because of what you've done with the housing. So keep that in mind as you're trying to make those decisions. And I think I missed it. Was it 25% of your gross income or your net take-home pay? What actually hits the account? I, like, I do it off of gross. Okay. And the example I had was, you know, kind of in my head is that if you if you made $100,000 a year, you did 25% of that, that means you can do it real, real roughly, 
your payment shouldn't be over $2,000, a little over $2,000 a month. Um, you know, same thing, if you made $50,000, you know, your payment's going to be right around the $1,000 mark, you know, maybe a little bit over the $1,000 mark. So it's somewhere in there. You can see it is conservative. I will tell you, you're, believe me, your bank will let you go borrow a lot more money than that 25% I just quoted you. But I can tell you this, when you're able to go out on that annual family vacation, you're going to like that money guy rule of thumb there. Absolutely. Um, so let's kind of switch gears and talk about that there are many other costs that are associated. And this is the thing we talked about in the last podcast, Bo. When you bought your first house, I think you did what I did when I bought my first house, too, is that I said, okay, I can pay this much money for my rent if I go rent an apartment, or I can pay this much and get a tax benefit with the mortgage deduction, and I'm going to come out ahead with the house. Right. That's what we all do. Yep. It's the, it, it, in theory, it makes all the sense in the world. But there's so much more that goes into it. Let's talk first, the simple one, utilities. Because, hey, when you, build, when you buy into an apartment or rent into an apartment, you have utilities. So you're like, hey, I, I'm paying utilities there. So those are apples to apples. Uh-uh. <laughs> Bo. You've owned a house, but right. you also now that you're up in Nashville, you rent. Right. Do you pay water? Uh, I do, but holy cow, it is not the same. Not even close. And then the other thing is, do you have to pay for trash? Uh, I do. At my, where I live, I pay for trash, but again, much much cheaper. Oh, than you're trash killing service. my point. No, here. but no, I'm just because saying it's every, so much cheaper. It's, every apartment I've ever lived in, and it, and it goes into my research. I found this. Okay, so let me ask some of the other people. Gabe, do you pay for water and rent and trash? What's wrong with you guys? Well, because here's a, this. Th- okay, so this is totally tangential. But there's this thing they do now. It's called valet trash, where they come to your door and pick up your trash Dave, for you. Do you have valet trash too? Yeah. And hey, it's built into your rent payment. So y'all's I, generation so, really is good. You, you guys can't even take out your own trash. Thirty bucks a month. <laughs> yeah, you know, you pay twenty bucks, twenty, thirty bucks a month, and you literally put the bag outside, and they come pick it up oh. for you every I night. If you could see the disgust. And they give you a trash can. Yeah. We actually had to take our trash out when I lived in an apartment. <laughs> Uphill both ways? In the snow? <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> well, my point was maybe there's some more traditional apartment complexes that don't offer concierge trash service, which is ridiculous as it sounds. But I think a lot of there are tremendous savings in the apartments versus uh, a residential house for anything just because of the footprint. Well, and even if you think about how much cheaper it is, I know heating and cooling our current living space versus what the house was, it's just worlds apart. It's very, very different. It's because that footprint is much smaller. Um, I did want to tell you, if you are a homeowner, and I've talked about this on a a bunch of our shows in the past, you know, one of the ones, one of our most most popular shows we ever did was save $200 a month with just a few phone calls. And I still get emails from time to time, people saying, what's that website to where I can save on my utilities and go shop my utilities, make sure I'm paying the lowest possible price on my bundles for my internet, my cable, as well as my natural gas. It's whitefence.com. And I get nothing for telling you that. It's just a really cool service. If you go to whitefence.com, you can kind of go price all your utilities. There's a really quick dollar grab that I'm giving all of our money guy listeners. But moving on past the fail of utilities, maybe the white fence will will pull this thing out of the the, the gutter on that since I didn't realize we were going to be talking about concierge trash service. But appliances. Now, Bo, when you moved into your apartment, they gave you a fridge, didn't they? Yes. The only appliances that I was responsible for is washer and dryer. And I think even there, you could rent it for 
something a month, but it was, was kind of crazy. So yeah, all the other appliances were there and ready for us. So excluding the washer and dryer, which you had to provide yourself, if the refrigerator breaks, what do you do? Man, I just pick up the phone, and it is a beautiful thing. So that's the thing. Most houses don't come with refrigerators, and a lot of times, you know, you, you're you responsible. Something breaks on that appliance. That's you. Mm-hmm. You carry that. There's no nets involved when you when you own a house. The Also, the wear and tear. I thought there was a great article. I went out there and found this is from Paula Pant. Um, she had, and I got this from about.com. She says, more than a mortgage, the cost of owning a home. And she went into what the wear and tear items were, and I thought this was very interesting. Let, let me go through a few of these, because I believe me, I've owned a house, I've owned two homes, and then I've owned a rental beach property. Mm-hmm. Um, carpet and carpet padding. She says they're going to need to be replaced every five to ten years. Windows, every 20 to 30 years. Water heaters, six to 20 years, depending upon the model. Your heating and air system, your HVAC. Every 10 to 20 years. Kitchen cabinets and bath vanities every 5 to 20 years. Cabinet hardware every 5 to 10 years. Bathtubs every 5 to 15 years. Vinyl flooring every 5 to 10 years. Faucets, basins, and pipes 5 to 15 years. Exterior. That's just the interior. Exterior. Gutters every 15 to 20 years. Roof 15 to 25 years. Siding 15 to 25 years. Paint weatherproofing 10 to 15 years. Fence and deck every 10 to 25 years. You're not really selling home ownership here, boss. Well, <laughs> last show, I shared with you my view on home ownership. I'm a big homeowner guy. I do like owning my house. But there's a big but. I do it for me. It's not a financial decision. If I was doing it for a financial decision, truthfully, the better answer probably would be to go live in an apartment. Mm-hmm. Because you can you know, go rent a three-bedroom. And probably, I would probably say $1,400 a month just from the difference from what I pay on a mortgage versus what my rent would be uh, on, on a house. But for me, it doesn't work that way. I mean, I, as I talked about in the last show, I like planting, I have blueberry bushes, I have tomato vines, so, you know. And you have and young children, which makes a difference. I like, like having have garages, yeah. you know, we, they, they, I like, there's something about, and, you, and you'll see, once you have kids, school zones, and those type of decision, decisions play so much into what you're doing that apartments don't always work out in that aspect because there is some benefit, I think, to the ownership. But it's not a financial benefit. I really, I'm telling you, that's one of the last show we titled it something to do with the broken American dream. I think it's somewhat true is that, that we are in, in a new shift now, but I'm not going to change. But I, I just want people, I want our listeners make decisions with their eyes completely open. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of people out there, and believe me, I get sucked into it too. Um, I love watching the Property Brothers. I love the Love It or List It and all the other stuff that's on the Home and Garden channel. What we've realized from talking to clients, though, is that that stuff that they're doing for forty dollars and $50,000 of rehab, no way, no how can you do that. Maybe it's different in Canada where they're doing all those projects because if you notice, most of those projects are all in Canada. Here in America, it doesn't. It costs us substantially a lot more to rehab your house than the forty to fifty thousand. I've even had one of our clients tell us that they've quit watching those shows because they're so disgusted with how cheap and easy they make the whole process. Look, why do they do that? There are obviously economic benefits to the real estate marketplace by those shows making it look so fun to renovate and do your house. Why do you think they can give away free houses? All the time, with all, and they're 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 pumping uh, all these products that that are coming with it. It all it all is inter 
tied to the industry. So that's why I felt like I'm not trying to poo-poo home ownership. I'm just trying to make sure that um, I give you an open, honest assessment to it. So we've talked about the other cause. Well, I actually had a, a, one more. Lawn care. Oh, well, here's the thing. I'm with you. When I owned my house, I went out very first week I owned it. I went and bought a lawnmower like the day after I bought the house, cut the grass twice and decided I wanted to pay somebody else to do that because uh, I am super allergenic. I get out there. I break out in hives. I can't breathe. Yard work is just not my jam. Am I, you know, where we're living now? Don't have to worry about trimming bushes, planting flowers, pulling weeds, cutting grass. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You have like walking trails and stuff at your place. Yeah, I get to enjoy outdoors because I want to be out there, not because I got chores to do. Yeah, I know. All I know is that I found myself when I was doing my own lawn care, I'd go to the Lowe's or Home Depot and I'd drop $200 just on junk that I'd only use once or twice. Uh huh. You know, the, the whole, you know, because you have to de-weedify your yard. I don't even know if that's a word. I think I, I just made I that word up. I think you made up. that up. But, you know, where you have to sling around fertilizer or whatever, the other weed feed or that stuff. So, um, you know, you go to the store to buy the, the weed feed or weed killer, whatever it is, and then you'd have to buy a dispenser. And you'd remember, hey, that you saw your neighbor with this type of dispenser, <laughs> and so you'd have to go buy the nicer dispenser. It just it turned out to be a big waste of money for me. I remember I bought, you know, a John Deere riding tractor. I used it. And believe me, I am a tightwad. I did a lot of research, went on Consumer Reports, made sure I got the greatest deal on this thing. And I don't know. It was a big waste of money. I, my wife made me mow the grass long enough to pay for it. And then I sold it to sold it to my in-law, my father-in-law, and then quickly hired a, a yard service. I don't need to be doing my yard anyway because, uh, believe me, the quality of, of service is much better in the hands of the professional. But... That's what I think you just home ownership is a great thing, but I would definitely stick to understanding what you're paying, staying within some type of guidelines. Don't let a mortgage broker or let a real estate agent try to push you into a higher price point that you, you lose out on some of that quality of life that you have because you bought too much house that you really couldn't afford. Uh, I want to shift gears. There's so many new tools out there. If you guys are not using Zillow, Realtor and some of these other apps that are out there. I mean, I have them on my iPad and I completely love them. Mm -hmm. I mean, Zillow, I think this is one of those things I'm about to talk about how you can make sure that your property taxes are not getting crazy. But what I like about Zillow is I can go put in any address and I can see, unless they custom built it and paid cash or cash buyers, sometimes you can't see it. But with majority of houses, you can see what when people all the times that house was either refinanced or sold. Um, you can really see the financial transactions and the, the, all the transparency of the all the things that happened with the real estate transaction are completely out there for anybody and everybody to see. And I like that because it's made it a lot easier to be an advocate for your own wallet on making sure you're not overpaying for property taxes, as well as just letting you keep a, a, a really good eye to the fact of when you maybe can refinance, um, you know, what what the, the housing trends are in your marketplace, what their appreciation trends are. There's a lot of value coming from just keeping up with the Zillow app. I've also noticed, given props to Zillow, they now let you, you don't have to put in any personal information. They'll let you go shop for refinance rates right there in the application. I mean, right there in the app right now. Really cool and easy 
go see a list of what the rates are, and you don't have to really give much of your personal information. I don't even think, because, you know, that's the problem with a lot of the stuff when you go shop mortgage interest rates, is that they want you to put your name and email address, and then you're like, well, I don't really want to give my email address, because you know they're going to call and solicit me or email me. I like it when they give you free information without asking for any personal information. So I figured I'd drop that little tidbit. We don't get anything out of sharing that either. But um, let's jump into are you paying too much as in pro- too much in property taxes. This was a great piece. It just came out. Actually, this is hot off the press. It came out today from The Motley Fool, from Amanda Alex. Um, she typed this up. She says, as you might expect, the two most common gripes are I'm paying too much in property tax and my house is overvalued. Now, I thought Amanda's pretty unique because she has over she has 20 years as a property tax assessor in a small town in Massachusetts. So she's actually worked behind the scenes of what how a property tax assessor for a community does their job. And is those two points I I'm in local government myself, so I hear those two things all the time, and she'll tell you the first thing is you know, I'm paying too much in property taxes. Really, there's nothing you can do if you're in a high-tax area. But the second one is my house is overvalued. You definitely can be a person who can be very much involved in that process. And she gives some guidance. She says, obtain a copy of your property record card from your assessor's office. Getting a hard copy is very important since online records are often incomplete. Even if you have to pay a copying cost, they will be minimal and well worth it. I will tell you, I agree with probably going and pulling that, but it is still so simple these days just to go on the Internet also just to get a quick overview of where you are with your taxes because it's worthwhile because it's very easy. If you go type in, just go to Google, type in your your county's name, you know, like we're here in Henry County. You'd be in where you're up in Tennessee, Williamson County. You just go on there and you could type in Williamson County tax records. And when you type that on Google, I guarantee it'll pop right up because most governments have gone to more automated systems where it's very easy to see. And so I agree with Amanda if you're concerned that you've overpaid. But if you go out there and just do a spot check, maybe you'll look at it. It's just like right now, I feel like my house, I haven't been crushed on my assessment. Um, back before the 2008 collapse, I would have sold them my house for what they assessed it for. <laughs> but we got to the point where I didn't want it to go down anymore because I felt like my house, and it is worth more than what they currently have me assessed at, and I, I'm okay with that. So I'm not going to be one of these people that's going to take it the step that Amanda said because I don't feel like I'm getting overcharged. But I want to at least give you guys the tools to go out there and figure it out. So I, I would recommend adding a step before what you did with Amanda said. Go out there on the Internet price it out with your house. And you can also use Zillow for some of this as well because it will tell you what the previous taxes were in your area. So it was really cool stuff. So here's how you get around it once you you go and pull that tax card like Amanda recommended. She said, check your square footage. This is an essential first step. If the error is in your favor, meaning she says many times they measure wrong when they come out there initially when they take the measurement of your house. And if they error where they made your house bigger than it actually is, your footprint is bigger than it actually is, she goes, your your chances are very good that you're going to be able to win your case because they're overcharging you because square footage is so important. So go ahead and make sure you check your square footage on your house. The second thing, she says number of rooms and running water definitely counts. She goes, though property owners often think that the number of bedrooms makes a difference in their assessment, this is often not the case. There are two rooms that generally do matter, though. 
That's bathrooms and kitchens. Often cities and towns will value bathrooms according to how many fixtures they contain, whether it's full, three-quarters, or half. Each will have a different assessment, so double-check this item to make sure it's correct on your assessment. And then she goes on to say kitchens are usually straightforward, except in the case of an apartment, such as an in-law unit. Also, think creatively when scrutinizing the card. Make sure, for example, that your finished basement's wet bar hasn't been assessed as a kitchen. Those type of things are really good tips to see if you can lower your tax bill. And then it says this. It went on and talked about type and condition of houses. The style of your house can make a large difference in your square foot assessment. Most popular types of houses, such as colonials, are often valued more highly than one-story ranches. Sometimes changing a home's classification, say, from a cape style to a contemporary can yield great savings. You'll need to prove that there is a valid reason for doing so. Next, she recommends your home's condition can also affect the dollar per square foot assessment. Sometimes the difference between excellent and very good is minimal in perception, but may have a sizable effect on your property's valuation. So these are all things that you can go use as a tool set. And then it says, make sure, of course, like most things I tell you on the Money Guy Show, do your homework first, because she goes, make sure you have all your arguments ready and any documentation you may need before you set up an appointment with your assessor. If there are any glaring errors on your field card, the assessor may fix it without a formal procedure. Otherwise, you might have to file an abatement during the proper time frame, information on which is commonly sent along with your tax bill. So... There's some really quick tips and tricks mm-hmm. on really how to make sure you're not overpaying in some taxes. And, you know, I can say mine was a little bit the other way. When I was trying to sell my house, they actually had on the property tax assessor's website, they were missing a full bathroom uh, when I sold my house. And some of the buyers who were calling me said, I showed that your house is, you know, so-and-so bedroom. And they kept asking me, well, it says this only has, you know, one and a half when, or two and a half when, in fact, it had three and a half baths. Uh, and once I contacted the tax assessor's office, I had it, I mean, it kind of hurt me in the property tax sense because it made my value go up, but uh, I think I had more people calling because when they started running their screens on the internet, it came across as having the correct number of bathrooms. So it helped me selling my house to get that updated. Yeah, well, and that, that ties into the last thing I was going to put out as a caveat because I have people, sometimes when we give advice, it's just like, um, usually when we do like credit card episodes where I tell people about great credit cards you can go look at to get cash rebates and so forth. I've had people write me and say, Brian, I tried to go open that credit card because I tried to go open that credit card. My existing credit card company now has raised my rates because they look at that as a credit inquiry. So I want to tell you unintended consequences of giving good advice to people is this paragraph right here. It says, keep in mind, that your assessing department will need to inspect your home to ascertain whether or not there's a problem, which means that your valuation could conceivably rise if there have been improvements to the house to which the assessors were unaware of. So I'm telling all you guys, if you have gone out there and made substantial improvements um, to your house and not permitted them correctly and not right. told your property, you know, your, the, your uh, county officials what's going on or your precinct officials what's going on, Beware. So, you know, be smart about the decisions you make as I you think, st- start complaining. And common things that we see are like people adding decks or finishing basements, those those types Swimming of... Swimming pools. Yeah. You'd be surprised what people do without going and pulling permits and other things. And, you know, and I don't know what the laws are in your state and ours. If you self-do it, I don't think you necessarily have to... I mean, you can get away with it, but you're not supposed to hire contractors without permitting and huh. everything. 
So it's um, very interesting, but I just want to make sure I threw that out there so we can get any hate me emails from people who, you know, added a whole underground three floors. You know, that's stuff that they were doing over in Europe is there people are digging out and going deep, you know, because they couldn't go up higher and all right. these other things. I wanted to protect you before your, your tax assessor showed up and went down and saw your palatial basement and was um, trying to tax you on it. So, well, Bo, we've done two real estate episodes. I think I want to change gears with our upcoming show. So um, we've loaded up everybody with real estate. I'm hoping y'all have gotten something out of it. If you feel free to give us some some feedback and comments, you can write me. That's Brian, B-R-I-A-N at money-guy.com. Or you can write Bo. That's B-O at money-guy.com. And also, please, like I said, go check out our website, money-guy.com. We bring shows to you every two weeks. Kind of did something a little untraditional here where we did two shows in a row don't think that that's a trend. It's just that, like I said, we had two shows that were on the same topic. I felt like they were kind of right there related to each other. I didn't want to spread them out and make you sit out there and, and wonder what was going on. I went ahead and released them one after the other in two weeks. But we'll be back in two weeks. I'm your host, Brian Preston, host of The Money Guy Show. The Money Guy Podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. <laughs>